Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I am here with Mr. Neil Ross. Neil, how are you, sir? I'm good, Julian. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Oh, man, I... It's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. And actors are always polishing line readings. I'm sorry. I I forgot I wasn't at an audition. It's perfectly fine, man, because you're going to give some of these guys, because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are a lot of aspiring voice actors or people that just absolutely love the work. Whatever guest I have on, whether it be anything from Ninja Turtles to Transformers to some of the stuff you worked on as well with G.I. Joe and Scooby-Doo and Back to the Future and all this other stuff that your name has been associated with and this illustrious career you've had. I'd like to take a step back and just, I want to see where little Neil Ross was running around. Where did he get that bug bitten for the, for the voiceover world and the radio broadcasting world? Where did that come into? Well, there's, it was a sort of a whole evolutionary process, which I chronicle in my book, which we will be discussing at some point. But uh, basically uh, Starting, I don't know when, really, uh, as long as I can remember, uh, when I was a child, we did not have a television set in the house. So it was either the radio or this little record player I had with a little collection of records, spoken word records. Mm -hmm. And I found myself fascinated, particularly with the radio, listening to all the different voices and accents. And I really didn't care for music very much at that age. So I would just tune around listening to to people talk, even if I couldn't understand the topic, just the, the, the voices and the accents. And I began to try to reproduce them. Uh, and it was a completely organic thing. It wasn't like, ah, this will be my life's work. It was just a sort of a, a stupid hobby, like, you know, building model airplanes. Some people do that. I was in my room imitating voices that I heard on the radio. And as I said, spontaneous nobody suggested i do it and I, I i it just it just welled up from within me like a compulsion so that was the start and then it's a very long uh, complicated road but to, to give you the cliff notes uh, when i was uh, about 16 and had not a clue in the world what i wanted to do with my life I had by this time discovered rock and roll music, which I loved, and I began to listen to the radio because that's the only place that you could hear it. And uh, little by little, I found myself becoming aware of the people who were presenting the music, these DJs, and uh, I began to focus a little bit on them and what they did. And one night, uh, I had this blinding flash of inspiration. God, maybe I could do that. Uh, I couldn't think of anything else to do with myself, but I thought maybe I could do radio. And the more I thought about it, it started off like a little tiny ember and the fire gradually got hotter and hotter and hotter and it became an obsession. And so that's what I did. I started out in the radio business and stayed in it far too long. I was in it about 20, 21 years. 
began to become disenchanted with it at a certain point. And then, like a miracle, I discovered there was this business called voiceovers, which was a very, very well-kept secret in those days. And I'm talking now about the late 70s. <clears throat> I'd never heard of it. Somebody just blurted it out once, and I said, scarcely daring to dream, what's voiceovers? And they said, it's, you know, car cartoons, commercials, promos, voiceovers. I didn't realize that you could actually make a living doing that. I, I, I sort of thought the guys and gals who did that were movie and television actors just making a couple of bucks on the side. But it turned out this was a thing unto itself, a very small, uh, little known facet of show business. And I said, man, if there's anything in the world where I could focus 100% of what I have to offer, it would be voiceovers, because by this time I, I decided I was using maybe 40% of what I had to offer in radio. It was kind of frustrating. And so I said, I've got to get in this business. And uh, fortunately, I did in the early 80s. And that's the short version of my life. Well, what I love about your cliff notes. Now, you brought up you brought up that you were working on a book and this out. And then it was Vocal Recall, Life and Radio and Voiceover. I got that right. I have a visual aid. Beautiful. God, that's a beautiful book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, that is actually my what you see on my website, this mm -hmm. artwork. And uh, yeah, I, this, I kind of stole part of the idea of for the cover from another book, but Oh man, what yours, the hell? Is yours is going to be better. That that's a beautiful book, man. So what what got you? We'll get back to 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 the clip notes and and you know you did this little stuff called voice acting for a little while, paid dividends quite well, I would assume. But uh, what was the the spark or the ignition that really went like, man, I really want to talk long form and I want to get my story out there. So what was the idea behind the book? That was sort of an accident. I did a personal appearance, an actor. You may have talked to him, uh, Rob Paulson. Are you familiar oh, yeah. with him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For those who aren't, uh, Animaniacs and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are two of his bigger credits, and also Pinky and the Brain. And he's a, a fabulously talented and lovely human being. And anyway, he uh, does a podcast, or did in those, I don't know if he's still doing it, it's called uh, Talking Tunes. Yeah. And occasionally he would take it on the road. So he booked a night at the improv and invited me and several other people who had been in Transformers to come down there and go on stage with him. And I almost didn't do it. I thought, what am I going to do at the improv? I mean, world famous comedians work there. I'm not a stand up guy, but I went and the place was packed with Transformers fans and we had a lovely time. And I thought, God, that was fun. Maybe if I wrote a monologue and I could book myself into venues, I started writing a monologue. And at a certain point, I realized this is either the world's longest monologue or <laughs> it's sort of starting to be a book. And I didn't really have the courage to admit that I was writing a book because I didn't think I could write a book. So I just played a game with myself. I said, I'm just writing this chapter. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else happens, so be it. But I'm writing a chapter. And then I would decide to write another chapter and another. And at a certain point, I realized, well, if you keep going, you got a book. And I kept going. So how long I got you, a book. How long did the entire endeavor take you? It's about a year because I'm very self-indulgent. You know, uh, grown-ups who write uh, carve out three or four hours a day, and that's it. I don't care if the world is ending. I'm writing in my room. Don't disturb me. Yeah. I didn't work like that. I 
I would sort of poke around and I'd run phrases around in my head and think of directions a chapter might go and just think about it and think about it and think about it. And when I reached critical mass where I thought my head was going to explode, I'd dive into the keyboard and try to get it all down before it evaporated. So I might write a chapter every 10 days or something. And uh, so, yeah, and some, sometimes nothing happened for weeks on end. So it took about a year, all no. told. I, I, without giving anything away, ladies and gentlemen, going by this book, as soon as we're off this this uh, Zoom call, I'm going to pick it up. And I'd like to recommend a book as well if you haven't read it. Uh, have you read Rob's book? Uh, no, I, he promised to send me one. I sent him mine, and he did not reciprocate, the rascal. But I must get I must get a hold of a copy and read it. I'm sure it's wonderful. It is it is fantastic. But going back to your book, I always like to give recommendations when when when, when books come up. Mm. Um, and you guys are such good friends. I would I would assume that uh, you know a lot of the stories that were in this book, but it was a fascinating book. Um, but without giving too much of your book away, what was some of your favorite stories to kind of go back, relive and retell or tell for the first time? Um, well, it was just sort of fun to relive my life. Uh, I hadn't really sat down and thought about it much. And then you start to put uh, stuff on paper or in this case, digits. And you suddenly think, God, I've, I've done a lot of really interesting stuff over the years. And you don't really, you know, I would have said, oh, I had a relatively ordinary life. But then you think, well, wait a minute, that, that's kind of far out. Just one example, I, I didn't do it for very long, but I was uh, the track announcer for roller games in Honolulu for a while. <laughs> and uh, that, was a, that was quite an interesting experience. And I, I enjoyed writing about that, and, and I hadn't thought about that in years. And a lot of, lot of, lot of stories came back as I was writing that part. And that's kind of an unusual thing. Did you in get fact, to uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did you get to live there in Honolulu? Yeah, yeah. That was the other, you know. And then talking about having lived an ordinary life, and but not really, um, you know. Uh, Getting to go to Hawaii, I had uh, for uh, my situ. I had run out of money at a certain point, and I had to take any job I could get, which turned out to be in this little town in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And I was not a happy camper. I didn't like it there, and I wanted to get out. And I sent a bunch of uh, tapes to California, and nobody was interested. And I sent a tape to a station in Hawaii. And you have to picture, it's a cold a winter's night in Idaho. The snow is falling. I'm looking out the window at the snow falling. Phone starts to ring and something appears as answer that phone. I answer it. And it's a guy in Honolulu offering me a job. And, and uh, I, you know, he said, I'm looking for a guy to do noon to three. I said, well, I've, I've been known to work in those hours. It's, uh, <laughs> that's not a problem. I can be up by noon. Uh, and uh, I said, uh, so uh, I'm trying to, you know, be casual about it. Actually, I'm thrilled. And I said, what, uh, what would you pay a fella to do something like that? And he said, we pay $300 a month. Ooh. Now, that's, you know, we're talking in the early 60s. But even then, it was lousy money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I said, 300, I said, I think a whale must have bumped into the undersea cable and we had a bit of a glitch there, uh, Teddy. 
it sounded like you said $300 a month. He said, that's what I said, 300. And I said, well, I'm getting 450 here. And I wasn't really, I was getting four, but you know, it's a negotiation. He said, well, three is all we pay. And I said, well, will you move me over there? No, we don't pay to move anybody. You know, you pay your own way. And I said, you know, and I'm almost in tears now. I say, I, I, I think I'm going to have to turn you down. And then he hit me with the clincher. He said, we have studios overlooking the pool at the Waikiki Biltmore Hotel. <laughs> and I said, I'll be there in two weeks. Sign me up. <laughs> so I spent the next five years in Honolulu to answer your question. Yeah. And okay. uh, enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, I can only and, and, and again, picture me, I'm 19 years old and I'm getting on this gigantic, I, we got, I got to San Francisco somehow, and I'm getting on this gigantic Pan Am plane that's going to fly me almost 3,000 miles out into the Pacific to an island where I know not a soul. And I'm 19. What an adventure. What an adventure. Was that the first time you'd ever flown? Oh, no, 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 no. But <clears throat> it was the first time I'd ever flown to someplace like Hawaii, which was, you know, this is way before Hawaii Five O, the original Hawaii Five O, and all the rest of it. And, and, and they really weren't doing the huge package tour, tourist kind of thing back then. I mean, there were plenty of tourists, but it, it was still kind of an exotic destination. Yeah. In fact, when I left the Idaho station, we had this one grizzled old guy. He did the farm report every morning, and I ran into him in the parking lot, and he says, I hear you're leaving. I said, yeah. Where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Hawaii. What the hell are you going to do there? I said, same thing here that I'm doing here. I'm going to do radio. He said, they got radio over there? Nope. You know, it was it was still kind of a remote uh, destination in 1964. I think it had only been a state for three or four years at that point. So uh, it was an adventure. I can only imagine, man. It, it, it's crazy because I can only imagine that flying out of Idaho or, you know, going around Idaho, they've, it's a one, I've never been there. So it's all speculation at this point for me, but one stoplight in and out, one bus in and out. And then you're going to a place that most people can't spell. No offense, Idaho. Most people couldn't spell yet. It's, it's a, it's an adventure nonetheless, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's wild. When you think about you're 19 years old, you get a call, out of nowhere, snowstorm going on. And you're like, hey, man, you want to come work down here? And not to mention it, did you, did you finally settle on $300? That's all they were going to give you? That's or? all they gave me. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we used to rent these horrible little hovels in Waikiki, uh, uh, two guys to a, to a place. And uh, <laughs> many's the time we would, you know, the money would run out uh, before the month did. And uh, there was you just you wouldn't have anything to eat i mean I, it wasn't really dickensian but it was uh i didn't i didn't have a lot of discretionary income let's put it that way uh, i don't know what three i don't i looked it up and now i've forgotten what 300 a month translates into into modern money okay what, what year was it we'll look it up oh you're you're really prepared yeah 1964 okay 300 a month $2,220.72 today's money. A month. That's a month. Yeah. 
So, you know, try, I'm, I'm sure there are many unfortunate people who do and get by on, or have to get by on a lot less, but it's not a lot of money. No, not at all. I mean, when I first, when I first joined the Navy um, and my wife and I, my wife was pregnant, we go out to almost, I don't want to say almost the same because I didn't go to Hawaii. I did, but it was a couple years later, but it wasn't to live. It was just a visit. Um, mm. But uh, when we moved out, so we, we got together in, in Florida and then we go and I get stationed out in Bremerton, Washington. I'd never been on the West coast. I'd never been North or I'm sorry, West of Georgia, essentially. I've never been as far North as West Virginia. Cause that's where my mom's people and all them come from. Mm-hmm. So that's about my, my zone or my up and down as far as the interstates go. So going out there um, and then wife having student loans, cause she had just finished up her uh, bachelor's in psychology at that time. She's pregnant. I'm an E1 in the Navy. Um, <laughs> you learn real, real quick, like where money goes to, especially when you've got mm-hmm. a car payment, you're trying to save for a kid, you've got a puppy. Um, you're living in a state that nobody lives around. You don't have any family out there. Um, and then you're deploying in six to seven months. Uh, so I'd always wanted to be a chef at this time. So I wasn't a chef in the Navy. I was just a supply guy. But luckily for me and my wife, um, we had a little bit of money, but I knew how to cook, right? So food was something that was very, very important to us because obviously she's got a kid on the way. So she's got to eat a little bit more than she usually would. Um, so going back to that that little bit of money to live on, um, I made a whole chicken last three meals for lunch and dinner mm. twice. Mm. So six meals out of one chicken, essentially. Um, but I, I completely understand like, Jesus Christ, man, you $300 a month. And I don't remember what I was making. It wasn't something, it wasn't that low at that point in time, but I'm pretty sure it could equate to something along those lines back in 2009, 2010. But it's, it's insane what, what kind of money you get and then what you have to do to survive and Mm. to find out that people Mm -hmm. these days now survive on a lot less in a time where inflation is crazy. I mean, I'm not no economist, but it's, it's pretty difficult for some people to live out there. Um, But just to find out, like I said, that uh, they flew you all the way to Hawaii beautiful place amazing place well they didn't fly me i had to pay for that (laughs) remember we don't pay to move you but i I get yeah yeah so well um, i think i think you know and i don't know how they would do it but really i get so damn mad sometimes when i think back to all the stupid stuff they had to study in in high school that i've never had the slightest use for But I graduated from high school not knowing how to open and use a checking account. Somebody had to show me that. My mother had to teach me how to cook, for which I'm eternally grateful because, you know, I don't care how cheap the fast food is. It's not good for you. And if you know a little bit about how to cook and go down to the market and get the ingredients, uh, you can, you can live cheaper than fast food. I'm convinced of it. If you're just careful about it, but a lot of people don't have a clue how to cook. It, it and, baffles me. I was the only one. So there's six of us out of brothers and sisters, not one of them. And my mom is an outstanding cook. I've heard war stories mm-hmm. and uh, I've heard stories about my wife and her family. Um, a lot of them don't use salt and pepper, don't like spices and shit like that. I was so lucky when it came down to my mom. My mom knew how to cook 
And I was the only one, mainly because I was a fat kid growing up, that really wanted to learn how to cook because it was it was fascinating. I mean, I remember flipping through the channels and then seeing, I don't know if you know who he is, or I'm pretty sure you do because he was huge all over the TV, but Emeril, do you remember Emeril Lagasse? Oh, sure, sure. Right. So I remember uh, my mom, you know, single parent this time, working two jobs for the most part, not getting home until seven o'clock, but I'm just flipping through channels at this time. I'm 12, right? So this is almost 20 years ago at this point, mm -hmm. 12. And I remember seeing Emeril and then him just throwing seasoning and it hitting mm -hmm. a plate. And then this entire, like he had the entire crowd mesmerized. He had them in the palm of his hand. It was like, I was like watching magic. I was like, what the hell is this? Like at that time, I'd never known that you could really get a career in food. I'm just sitting here watching him and he just has like the entire crowd in the palm of his hand. And all he is doing is cooking. So this came into this, this light where I'm like, oh, I want to learn to cook. My mom can cook really well. Teach me how to cook, mom. And just knowing this little skill, like cooking, right, mm -hmm. changed my perspective, changed my life. Because I would, once I got into the Navy and started moving around, I would meet with people and or hang out with people or work with people. And they don't know how to salt anything. They don't know how to season something. They don't know how to boil water, essentially, make boiled eggs or make mashed potatoes, make something that I started doing at such a young age that I just wanted to cook. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to learn to cook. I wanted to eat the best food I could eat. That's all I was doing it for. It wasn't, you know, me preparing for some venture down the road. It wasn't me setting myself up for success or thinking this is what an adult does at, you know, the age of 12. I just wanted to eat delicious food and not have to have my mom cook it all the time because mm. she was tired as shit working two jobs, right? So I got super, super lucky and I don't understand why people don't take that. And I don't understand why it's not taught in school these days. Like, yeah, it really should be. It, I mean, you know, you eat three times a day, you might as well enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, and I I think people are are so hooked on these on these fast food places because whatever they prepare themselves tastes awful because they don't know what they're doing, and uh, you know, well, we get off on a tangent, but uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's perfectly fine, man. That's why this this why this podcast is called "What's in My Head" because like if you look behind me, man, there is nothing in here that's the same other than all it's all pop culture. I mean. You got a bear, shit ton of Ninja Turtle stuff. I got Ninja Turtles on my arm, Batman, all this other crazy stuff, man. And then I was wearing my Voltron shirt earlier because I wanted to be like, oh, man, I want you to think I'm cool. So I'm going to wear my Voltron yeah. shirt today. Um, I didn't but, even know there was such a thing. Oh, man, I got a couple of them and I get uh, that. that. There's like three or four shirts that everybody instantly sees and they give me a thumbs up as soon as and Voltron's one of those big ones. It's a, it's one of those sleeper cells. You don't hear much people talk about, but when you start wearing stuff or you bring it up, then you mm -hmm. realize like, Oh shit, there's a lot more Voltron fans than they put out to be. It, it seems like it's like, uh, everybody is a frit. Now I'm not even going to go there. Cause that's pretty, that's pretty crap. Let's, let's just move. I was going to go very, very dark there for a second. And, uh, very no, but you're right here. I'm, I'm just re replenishing my beverage. I'll be with you in a moment. But um, yeah, Voltron is one of those things where you mention it and people go, oh, yeah, I, I, you, I love that. I kind of forgot about that. And I think it's because uh, nobody did a movie sequel. Mm -hmm. You know, Transformers, they got all those live action ones to sort of remind you that the show existed. And there was a there was a G.I. Joe movie, although it had absolutely no resemblance to the animated series, but still it got the name out there. Yeah. Apparently, there was talk of a Voltron feature, but it just never, uh, never gelled. And then periodically, people will tell me there's a live action Voltron that's going to happen. I know there's 
there's a sequel now that's on Netflix. It's fantastic if you haven't seen yeah. it. You're a busy yeah. guy, but it is it pays homage to what you guys did back in Yes, I, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I watched enough to see that that uh, that's what they had done. So they, they really cool. it really felt like they were it like you see it more and more these days with with pop culture. I brought it up a couple of times in this podcast, but I don't I know how avid of you are as uh, watching TV and stuff. But um, have you seen the CW's Flash? No, I'm watching very little commercial television these days. I I find myself uh, gravitating to Netflix and Prime and, and that sort of thing. I believe the entire series is on Netflix. So they've got that in Arrow. But the only mm -hmm. reason I bring that up is because this is the first time I've seen it done mainstream. So if you watch The Flash back in the, at the end of the 80s, early 90s with John Wesley Shipp, where he was The Flash, they brought him into the current Flash TV series they've got running on the CW as Barry Allen's dad. So they, at least now what they're doing is, is they're taking stuff and that, that used to be where people grew up, grew Jesus Christ, I keep butchering the English, the English language today. Excuse me. So what they do is they take a show like Voltron or like The Flash, and they want to pay homage to her. They want to say thank you, essentially. They want to say, hey, man, this is where the show comes from. This is where these roots are really dug down into. And we want to say thank you. We want to give you, you know, like a tip of the hat or a bow or something like that. And they started doing it with The Flash, and they really felt like they did it with the Voltron series. It's on Netflix, man. There were so many little nods to the previous you know, incarnation of Voltron. And, and I wish they did it more. And I, I completely agree with you when it comes to the Transformers and G.I. Joe. Other than the name and Peter Cullen playing Optimus Prime, there was really no, there wasn't a heart like there was in the cartoon series back in the day. That was just, shit, man, we got to get this movie franchise out here. We need to make sure it's relevant. We need to make sure we're making money on it. And that's what it really felt like. But with shows that you were on, like Voltron, like G.I. Joe, like uh, Transformers, you guys gave it heart and you gave it soul, man. Um, what was, if you had to choose now and you could, you could play armchair quarterback, essentially. Um, if you had a choice between a Voltron movie that you were attached to or a Transformers movie that you were attached to, which one do you think you would have more fulfillment as far as coming back to that role? Uh, <clears throat> if the part was shipwrecked, in G.I. Joe, of course, you said Transformers, right? So G.I. Well, Joe is not... Throw G.I. Joe in there as well. It would sort of depend on the part. You know, a shipwreck was such a wonderfully rewarding role that I would I would love to reprise it in some form or fashion if, if that was in the cards. So that would, that would probably be my choice. What was it so rewarding? Well, it was an, he was an interesting, conflicted character, and that's those are the best. Uh, if you think about it, everybody in G.I. Joe, the good guys were really, really good, and the bad guys were really bad, and Shipwreck was somewhere in the middle. He wanted to do the right thing, but he didn't like to take orders. He preferred to do things his way, and so he was endlessly getting into trouble. And I'm sure uh, before we started this, we shared the fact that we were both in the Navy at, at, at some point. And he, he reminds me of guys that I knew, and I'm sure you knew guys like this too, uh, career guys who figured yeah. out how to game the system. Joe Navy is they skate along just this side of insubordination, and they just somehow managed to not, not ever quite get caught, you know, because they, they know who to call, they know what buttons to push, they've been in long enough to figure out how to work it. And uh, they're, they're fascinating types. And so I sort of felt like I already knew Shipwreck when I got the role. 
did based you, on these guys that I had known. Now, when uh, another term they like to use, because uh, we we call them skating. Mm -hmm. um, you'd see somebody that is skating by, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we'd also call it politicking because they would look at it and they're like, "Oh man, well I know Master Chief, or I know Senior Chief, or I know mm -hmm. LS One or SK One, depending on what rate it was." They were like, "I'm gonna make sure I coast." Um, but when you, when you got into that role, did you essentially know where you wanted to go to, or let's take it a step further back when you get a role for a character, what's it like flushing out an idea for you? Do you just start throwing out different voices? Do you, is it hard to find a voice for a character or what's that process really like for you? Well, I, I don't think I'm that different from most uh, voice actors, although I don't, I haven't discussed it ex ex extensively with, uh, all of them, but mm -hmm. Generally speaking, when you show up for an audition for one of these things, there's a picture of the character. There's maybe a profile, maybe a, a head-on shot. And then there's a two, three-paragraph description of the character. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you read the description and you look at the picture. And if all goes well, you begin to hear a voice in your head. And then when you get into the studio, you try to reproduce that voice. And that's, that's what I've done all along. Shipwreck was different because uh, I showed up and it was obviously a sailor character and I, a couple of three paragraphs of dialogue. And I did a couple of different passes on it and nobody seemed particularly thrilled. And I couldn't think of anything else to do. And I was just about to make my goodbyes when a guy over in the corner said, hey, did you ever see the movie The Last Detail? Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I had. I don't know. You may probably are not familiar with it. No, it I don't is, think I've heard of it. It's a it's a small movie. Uh, Hal Ashby was the director, and uh, Jack Nicholson played the role of this sailor, Billy Badass Badusky, who was assigned <laughs> a detail with another guy there to take a, a young sailor to uh, essentially do eight years in the brig. Mm -hmm which is not a particularly pleasant detail. And uh, they decide to show him a good time before he gets locked up and they have all kinds of misadventures. And uh, there's a particular scene where they go in a bar and they get into a confrontation with the bartender. And Jack's character is carrying a 45 semi-auto because of the detail they're on. And the bartender says, you guys don't get out of here. I'll call the shore patrol. And Jack's character whips out this semi-auto and slams it on the bars. You want the shore patrol? We are the mother bleeping shore patrol. <laughs> and with that rattling around in my head, I did the audition for the third time using a voice that some people had said was Nicholson-esque. Mm -hmm. And when I finished, the guy in the corner said, you got it. <laughs> Which is normally the kiss of death, by the way. When they tell you you've got it, you don't got it. But uh, really? in this case, it turned out, oh, yeah, oh, God, you wouldn't believe. I don't know why people do it. I've had people, you know, you, you finish the audition and they say, wait right there. Don't, don't move a muscle. And they run in and they shake your hand and they say, oh, that was wonderful. You know, we've had 15 guys in here. They were awful. Nobody could give us what we want. You just walked in here and nailed it. You are, you're the guy. Are you available tomorrow? Well, you'd have to call my agent. I think I might be. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, we'll call your agent. Don't worry about it. What, how's two o'clock? You think two o'clock is a good time? Well, that probably, uh, you know, again, you'd have to check with my agent, but two o'clock sounds reasonable. What studio do you like? Well, uh, well they're all good. I mean, I, I, I well, what about so-and-so? Yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, well, listen, buddy. Oh, we're, oh, I mean, we were sweating bullets in here. You've saved our lives. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Never see those guys again in your life. Were they now, what the you, what they, the hell was that all about? I can't tell you. Were they were they fucking with you? Or are they being serious? I don't know. I've had that happen on more than one occasion. Uh, that's a little scenario. The the, the 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 details vary, but I mean, they come right out and tell you you're the guy, and they'll see you tomorrow, and this and that, and just fucking. I don't know what. Do, do they think they're doing me some kind of a favor? Are they fucking with me, as you say? I don't know, because I, I never see them again. <laughs> that is so insane to sit here. Like, there's, out of out of 10 people, you're probably going to have that one. He's like, I'm going to ruin this dude's day. I'm going to tell him he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then we're never going to see Neil Ross again. Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's, it's insane. I don't know if it's just... I don't know. Maybe it's just people thinking that, hey, man, this is the guy or, hey, man, uh, we do have this person. And then once it goes up that upper chain of command, like, nah, we want somebody else. I didn't really like it. You know, maybe it's just out of that person's hands and they really thought you had it in the bag. Um, but I got to think there's one cynical person out there. He's like, man, I'm going to mess with Neil today. I'm going to make sure I get his goat today. I don't know. It, but, uh, well, at the very least, it made for a good story. But in the case <laughs> of Shipwreck, they weren't lying. I, I got the call about a week later and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Now, when you say you would go back for more auditions, is, is it later in the day more auditions or is it a couple days after? Because you said you went back like three times for certain roles and stuff like that. Well, they would have what they called callbacks, which they do in on camera. Um, sometimes a, a, someone will read for a part three or four times before the decision is made. Uh, and they do it in voiceovers as well. Not, I had, it hasn't happened to me much recently, but uh, during the, the, hey, the, uh, the period of time in the mid eighties into the mid nineties, there was quite a bit of that. You would, you would sort of survive round one. They'd call you back and <clears throat> you'd, uh, you'd do round two and sometimes even a third uh, go around before they finally made up their minds. And uh, I oh. never quite understood it. I'd come in because uh, I'd read for the same person. You know, They were not the decision maker, but they were the person running the audition. And I would say, well, I'm back. <laughs> what do you want me to do differently? Oh, nothing. Do exactly what you did the first time. Well, why don't you just play that for them again? Why, why am I driving all the way over here to reproduce something I've already done? Well, just do it. You know, you, you don't argue with them. You do it. So I've, I've done, you know, three callbacks doing exactly the same read each time. And uh, because nobody asked for anything different, you know. So what's the point? And I don't know the answer to that. Is it is it normal? Uh, not normal. Um, that's a better word. When when you go in and you do these these multiple auditions or multiple takes um, and callbacks, are you usually just solo by yourself and you're, you're you're reading off what they want you to read? Are you doing any table reads with the rest of the cast, or is that just too early in the production at that point? No. What they what they used to do uh, was they would actually write. Uh, two or three paragraphs and they would not be connected. They would be isolated paragraphs and they, one of them, you would be angry. One of them, you would be frightened. Another one, you would be authoritative. 
they wanted to hear not only what your, the voice sounded like, but whether or not you could act within that voice, because that's just what a lot of people don't understand. They think the whole trick is to just do some kind of voice and then you're you're golden. But the point is, can you act? Mm. You know, because if you can do a funny voice, but you don't have a clue how to do a line reading or how to act, it's it's not it's worthless. Uh, and so they wanted to know back in those days, can this person act? And uh, so, so you would do these three unrelated paragraphs, pausing between and ramping up whatever the emotion was that they wanted. Now they're so lazy, a lot of them, they just jam four or five pages of a script and, and send that, you know. And so you've got six isolated lines, two of which are oof. And how the hell they make a decision based on that is beyond me. But, uh, you know, they, they run the store, so I have to do what they want. Now, with the exception of COVID going on right now, how much has it changed as far as physically going in and auditioning now? Is a lot of it still just at home? You record, you send off? Or are they still asking you guys, if COVID wasn't happening, I guess is what I'm getting at. If COVID wasn't happening, would you still be going in? Or is everything pretty much digital now where you're just sending stuff off and emailing? Well, you know, it's such a wide-ranging business. I can't really claim to be an authority on what's going on. There are there are some buyers prior to COVID who just insisted everybody has to show up in person, no exceptions. And there are other people who are open to remote uh, auditions done in home studios. It's um, kind of a it was kind of a mixed bag. Now, of course, much more is happening. Uh, involving home studios mm -hmm. and people who uh, would never have uh, countenanced recording that way uh, have been forced to accept it because uh, they don't want to, you know, run the risk of calling an actor in and having them get sick. And I'm so that's one of the big question marks I have is once this horrible thing is over, and I don't know how we'll even know that it's over, but at some point, I suppose it will be more or less over. Will they revert back to demanding everybody be there in person, or will they say, Well, this record from home thing's not too bad, it's been working, I don't see any reason to mess with it. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I would love to work in my PJs, I really enjoy not having to drive an hour plus for work. So well, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for, <laughs> I mean, I've done, I've done sessions in my underwear and, uh, you know, and, I mean, <laughs> who are you voicing in your underwear, Neil? <laughs> I can't remember. I, you know, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I don't have it anymore. This was at the previous house, but I put together this studio in what was originally sort of a pantry. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of foam rubber up around everywhere. And actually, it sounded pretty damn good. Yeah. But to my right were these shelves with cans in them, you know, beans and whatever. <laughs> I would do a session and the engineer at the other end would say, um, boy, uh, your room really sounds good. That's a nice tone you've got. And I go, oh, thank you very much. Well, I spent a, a lot of money and a lot of time putting this together. Looking <laughs> at spaghetti cans and shit. If my wife takes two of these cans off the shelf and makes spaghetti sauce, will the sound change? You know? <laughs> 
it's insane. I've seen some people like it, it's always a crapshoot whenever you do these uh, these Zoom calls because either somebody's got a studio, somebody's like I've seen just naked kids running by and shit, yeah. getting out of the bath. They got a towel wrapped around them. They're running by. I've seen people walking behind the people I'm talking to and they're shoving their face full of pizza or it's, it goes the other way where they've got a nice studio or they're sitting in a closet and all of their shit is just all over the place. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. definitely interesting on how people either a, you know, go and do their voices or go and do the work they need to do so they can get paid and they can get, you know, they can do what they're said they're doing voice acting. Uh, mm. So it's just interesting to see what kind of organized chaos um, people can really work in like with just seeing kids and people running in the background and then you're physically trying to do, you know, s some script reading and stuff. I, I think it's crazy the level of just focus you guys have when it comes to script reading um, and just saying some lines and shit. It, it baffles me every time. Cause I would, I've got to have perfect quiet. If I go and write, or if I go and do anything for this podcast, I can't have a TV on. I can't have music on. Mm -hmm. I have my door shut. The lights have got to be low. I usually have a red light on. Um, I saw Dave Chappelle talking about how a red light really sets a mood for it. So I just said, fuck it, screw it. I'm going to put a red light in here and see how it goes. Um, mm -hmm. I can't record in red light because nobody would see what I look like, which would probably be a good thing, man, because I don't want too many people to see this ugly face. It's very off-putting, man. There's only one person, two if you count my son. My wife really likes my face from time to time. Mm. Um, well, we both have the perfect face for voiceover. Yeah. Yeah, but you've got an outstanding voice. My voice is just annoying and bitchy most of the time. So, uh, you know, I don't, they get money. Well, as one engineer said, and I believe he was right, it ain't the voice, it's the interp. Short for interpretation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've known, I've known a number of fellas with these big, deep voices, and they just couldn't do a decent interp. And then there are other people who have, you know, voices up in here, but somehow the sincerity comes through and you, it is just golden. So it used to be when I started out, the baritone ruled the airwaves, but uh, those days are long, long gone. And, and it's, it's almost a liability at this point. Why do you think that is? Well, they went through sort of a, a change right around the turn of the century, and they s suddenly decided that anything that sounded uh, slick and professional was, uh, was phony hmm. and wouldn't sell any products. And they said, we want real. And uh, it got, it was really kind of nutty at first. I mean, they would call the agents and they would say, we want to hear talent but we don't want to hear anyone who's ever worked in voiceovers before. Uh, they, they somehow felt that somebody just walked in off the street and shoved in front of a microphone would somehow be deemed more authentic, more believable than, than the old pros. And it was a very odd period. I would put on the television and I would see a national commercial and it would, the visuals would be gorgeous. The colors, perfect. The music soared. And the guy doing the voiceover left a little bit to be desired. And I thought, what are you people doing? And it's calmed down since then. But in the wake of that whole change, the guy with a big, deep, baritone, smiley voice suddenly became anathema. They don't want that. They want, you know, some guy up in here who sounds like a real person. And 
okay, you know, it's their store. I mean, I guess so, but that just seems so insane. It's, you can say the same thing about today. Like you, they, everybody has to, there's categories. So we got to fill so many of this. We got to fill so many of this. We got to fill so many of that vice, just getting the people, the right people for the right job, essentially. That's what I'm getting at. You know, I'm not going to go any deeper than that because this can be very multifaceted when it comes to this topic, man. But I've always thought, let me get the best actors, the best voice actors, the voice, best voice actresses for the job and then let them do what they do. Whenever I go and get a haircut, right? Very rarely will I get the same barber every single time because my days off vary. So I go in there not knowing anything about cutting hair. What are you looking for? I don't know, man. I do it short on the side, longer on the top. Just don't make me look, don't make me look stupid. If I would look good with the mohawk, put a mohawk on there. But if I don't look good with mohawk, don't try to talk me into that. Don't try to talk me into a mullet. Just do whatever you, you're the professional, essentially, is what I'm getting at. You are the professional. This is your line of work. I trust you. Do what you do. When you start putting all of these, I don't want to say typecast because it's not the right word, but you start putting these shackles on people, I guess, or you start saying that, hey, man, this line of this line of voices or this line of way of talking that we've used for so long just doesn't feel right anymore. We have to go to something 100% different. If it works, it works. But what I've noticed is, is when they sit there and just sideline the people, at least the people that came before them, and they go in a different direction, never really seems to feel real. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but like you can tell when when they just go and get a big name actor, throw them in a voice acting role, right? Um, I don't know if I throw names out there, but you, you just insert any crazy big actor, right? Yeah. And they're just going to try to get it over just for name recognition alone, right? You see what they are doing, right? Profit instead of passion, right? And I don't know how you feel about, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, are you on the fence about, you know, getting just some big actor, actress to come in there just to throw a voice in just to sell some products because of who the name is, or you just don't give a shit. You're going to do what you're going to do because you're fucking Neil Ross and you do awesome shit. Well, of course, this has been going on a long, long time. I don't know exactly when. Somewhere in the 90s, the dam burst. Uh, prior to that time, on-camera people wouldn't touch, wouldn't do animation, wouldn't do commercials. It was beneath them somehow. And then suddenly it became acceptable. And uh, they swooped in and took all the plum gigs. And uh, there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Um, what I would say in general is that voiceover is, is a little bit of a different animal than acting on camera. Mm. And if I were to suddenly be asked to act on camera, I wouldn't just show up and, and expect that I could coast through on what I knew, what I know about voice acting. I would say, oh, dear, I better get with a coach quick. Uh, and I better, you know, uh, start learning how to function in front of a camera because it's a different thing. S some actors get it and they're actually quite good, mm -hmm. but others don't. Uh, and they bring nothing to the table other than the fact that they are famous people. Yeah. And um, there's there's a difference. And so. Then I always cite Robin Williams uh, as an example. I mean, this was a guy who, who was so brilliant. If all he had ever done was voiceovers, he'd have been the top guy or one of the top guys. Uh, he, he brought so much to the work that he did in animation that it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but there are other people who've been thrust into animation and commercials, and, and they're just, 
you know, they're so used to acting with their face, they don't know what to do with, with the voice. Yeah. I remember uh, the late uh, Wally Burr talked about doing a session with, a, with an on-camera celebrity. And the guy did the line, and Wally said, that's exactly the interpretation, but I, I need it a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Take two. And he said everything changed on the guy's face, but the line sounded exactly the same. And he did three or four takes like that and finally gave up. He said, this is all I'm ever going to get out of this guy. And he said, I don't think he was trying to be difficult. I think he was trying to do what I asked, but he, he could do it with his face, but he couldn't do it with his voice. And it's a different animal when all you have is the voice. They cannot see you. Mm -hmm. uh, you might be a big, gorgeous, six-foot-four-inch tall guy, but they can't see that. All they can hear is this. And yet... Uh, as I said, uh, some on-camera folks get it, and they're and they're and they're just great. So I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag. I'm so glad you brought up Robin Williams because not only is he my favorite actor of all time. I mean, his him. You, I mean, you encapsulated the entire time. Damn genius when it comes yeah. down to whether it was in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. I mean, the guy, the guy's timing alone. And the fact that when you go and listen or read or just watch any behind the scenes stuff, and then the, like we just hooked up a microphone and let Robin be Robin, we just let mm -hmm. him go. And then when you f hear all the stuff that they had about uh, Aladdin, a lot of that shit was just ad libbed, just coming off, firing off left and right. Let's just do this. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Let's get zany. It, it, it's insane. Not only what you guys can do, not just Robin, but but what you can do as well. What you guys do very few people can actually understand. I don't, I don't understand the process. I don't understand what you guys do. I don't know how you guys warm up. Everybody, everybody's obviously different. You know, you warm up this way, you warm up that way, you cool down this way, you cool down that way, right? You do these different exercises to get here, to get there, to get here, to see if you can get that range you need, right? So everybody is different, but to know what you guys can do from your diaphragm to your, what comes out of your guys's mouth is nothing less than insane and it's like it's magic essentially i don't know what it feels like to you i don't know if you know what magic feels like neil but i mean <laughs> when i hear you guys do what you guys do when you take a two-dimensional character and you turn them three-dimensional because it's not nothing against animators nothing against writers man uh what you guys do makes these characters go from being flat to moving in all these different directions right you, you guys put the heart and soul into this um when you take a look at all these characters that you've really grown with, or like I said, you invented not so much in the sense that you've invented the name, the character, what they do, but you invented them, their essence, their soul, the magic in that character, man. What, what goes through your mind when you think about that, when you think about shipwreck and you think about everything you did with Voltron, everything you did with transformers. And there's not, there's not one episode we can sit here and do and encapsulate your entire career. So I apologize for that right up to the, to the fans and to you. I mean, you deserve, you got a book come, you got a book out right now, which will encapsulate everything that we're, you know, missing or skipping over because there's just so much that happened from, when did you get into radio? You said early sixties, right? Uh, 63. 63. The year our fucking president was shot. You got into yeah. radio, right? Yeah. So it is insane to sit here and try to say that we'll get. I actually saw him about a month before he was shot. It's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Like I That's said, one, one of one of one of two presidents I've actually seen in person. 
another reason to go buy this book, ladies and gentlemen. One more time, Neil, and we'll, we'll, we'll ask again what the book is named. Would you like to give the, the book another shot here so we can see yeah. it one more time? Because this is a beautiful cover um, and, an, and an awesome title as well. There it is, and I might as well go into the spiel. Uh, if you want to procure this book, uh, probably the simplest. It's on. Uh, it, it's on. Um, what, uh, I'm, I'm spacing it now. How can I forget Am- Amazon? Amazon, for God's sake! It's on Amazon. <laughs> it's also available in audio form, and uh, the best place to go to check it all out is www.neilbook. Dot com and that has links to take you to various wonderful places. It is also a lot of people ask if it's on Audible. Yes, it is on Audible because I know a lot of people have memberships and uh, that's why they want to go through Audible and that's fine. So yes, Vocal Recall by Neil Ross. Uh, you can find it at Audible as well. And Do you um, read it for Audible. Yes, uh, that was a a lot of people auditioned for that role. And uh, amazingly enough, I got the job. So, yes, I am. I am the narrator of the book. That is the one and only book I have ever uh, done and probably the only book I ever will do, because that's too much like work. These guys who who, and gals who read these books. uh, Wow. I got so frustrated, I almost quit twice and almost fired myself three times. It, uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of work, but uh, fortunately, it's, it's over and in the past. And so if you want to grab a copy of the book, that's how to do it. www.neilbook.com, N-E-I-L book. Uh, so what, where were we? What, what, what oh, were we no. talking about? No, it was, it was just I wanted, I wanted to bring the book back up, but uh, yeah. just talking, you know, just about voices. But since we're starting to wind down, man, like I said, your career has just been so fucking illustrious, man. I mean, 63, 2021. I mean, what's that? 40, 50? Far too long. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like to think about it. A long damn. You look great, Neil. For, oh, thank you. Thank so, you. So if they have any issues, like, no, like Neil's a goddamn legend, only one, you know, Neil is a legend in this business, done so much. I mean, I just want to rattle off a few, a few things that I really enjoyed, right? So we talked a little bit about G.I. Joe, we talked a little bit about Voltron, man, but, but Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling played me yeah. in Oakland, man. Yeah. Um, you did Rambo, you did X-Men, you did Nightcrawler, which is one of the most underrated X-Men, one of the most underrated superheroes, uh, of all time, in my opinion, and a lot of fans' opinions as well. But one, well, actually two, two roles that I absolutely loved. And one, this first one was SWAT Cats, and you did Mac Mange. My brother and I, very rarely do we agree on anything. Nine times out of ten, we were fighting, fists, verbally, emotionally. We were doing some damage to each other, because that's just what boys do when you're young mm-hmm. and you both are growing up. Everybody wants to fight. Everybody. Wants I, to- I, I didn't have brothers, so I had to beat up myself. It's kind of... <laughs> Well, self-deprecating humor is fantastic, man. It helps you guys a lot, I seem. Indeed. Well, that's funny. That Not too many people reference that show, but I remember it. And uh, my, my cartoon wife, April Winchell, she was Molly Mange. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. It's, but, uh, you know, I kind of gauge these things by the shows that fans reference when I do conventions. And I really... Do not hear about SWAT cats that that often, but uh, yeah, we, we that was a great show. I enjoyed it. It was such an underrated show. I mean, it only lasted two seasons, and 
like I said, me and my brother would argue, like he would want to watch one thing. I would want to watch other. And we only had one TV in the, in the, in the, in the mm. house at the time. Um, so, you know, it was whoever could beat up whoever. And I was generally, I'm the older brother. I'm stronger. I'm bigger. Um, so Julian won quite a bit is what I'm getting at Neil. Um, yeah. and you know, one thing we could always agree on was we would watch SWAT cats. We would watch SWAT cats. We would watch Pokemon together. And I think Dragon Ball Z was the other one that we all agreed on. Even my little sister, we, we watched this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely love SWAT cats. Like I said, it was one of those shows that is so underrated and it is, is never talked about to the level it should be talked about. I've got the creators coming on here in a couple weeks. Can't wait to talk to them. I don't know if I'll get both brothers. I, I might get either one or the other, mm-hmm. um, but it's such a fantastic show. Um, do you remember, how, was it just a call from your agent say, hey, you want to try out for this voice or how'd you find out about this project? I, I don't remember this one specifically, but <clears throat> 99 times out of 100, uh, the, the agent calls and says there's an audition at such and such a place and such and such a time, and uh, you've been invited. And uh, that's, that's really what agents do. People who, don't, who, ask, who are curious about the business say, so uh, your agent gets you work? Is that what, uh, how, it, uh, how it goes? And I say, no, no. And that's not really what happens. What happens is your agent gets you opportunities. Mm-hmm. You get the work. And uh, so a, a lot of it is, is uh, getting you into the auditions because if they don't hear you, they obviously are not going to hire you. Yeah. So this would have been, you know, audition, Hanna-Barbera, such and such a time. And I would have gone and gone through the process I described, looked at the character's picture, read the character's description, did the audition. And fortunately, they liked what I did. And next thing I know, I'm in the show. It's fantastic. I love when somebody just opens a door, but it's up to you to not only stick your foot between the door jam and the door being closed, but you got to kick that mm-hmm. some bitch in and you really got to get your voice out there. You got to get your face out there. You got to get your name mm-hmm. out there. It's, mm-hmm. it's really on you. It, you. The agent can only do so much. Like I said, he, he or she only opens up the door for you guys. It's on right. you and what you guys do, the craft that you guys are trying to master. It, it's on you guys to do it. And like I said, it, I cannot fit every credit you have on this piece of paper. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, just go and Google Neil Ross and you will be baffled with the stuff that comes up. But getting to one of my favorite parts of this show, like I said, I could go on seven or eight hours just on you alone with just how much you've actually done and all the, the credits you have. Um, you know, it's 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 unjust to just do an hour with you. So hopefully down the road, if you'd love to come back on, I'd love to have you, man, because I've had a lot of fun um, hearing your stories. And like I said, I can't wait to read the book so I can know more about Neil. Um, yeah. like I said, one of my favorite parts about this show is reaching out to fans, um, and saying, Hey, I've got Neil coming on. If you could ask Neil one question, what would you ask mm-hmm. him? Right. So you are, you are one of two people that I've, and like I said, my phone's been going off and I can't get to them all. So I'll save them for the next time you come on. Um, but you are one of two people that have had the most questions that I've ever had asked for mm. any other person. I've had Rob on, I've had Kevin Eastman, the co-creator of the Ninja Turtles, Fred Seibert, the last Hanna-Barbera president. Um, I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on when it comes to the guests I've had on. I was blown away. And that's not to diminish anything you've ever done in your career. I just was not expecting as many fans. Like I said, Voltron are those secret fans. You know, you don't know about Voltron. Mm-hmm. Fans mm-hmm. Voltron comes up. Um, but nonetheless, man, we're going to get into some questions and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, okay. G-Bus from Reddit says, 
I don't have a question, but I would love to say this to Neil. He says, we'll save my bones for Davy Jones. Tell him we love him. Uh, so G-Bus from Reddit wanted to tell you that. Yeah, well, that's a shipwreck reference. Yes. Yeah. Um, Frosty Dragon 44. I guess the 43 other ones are out there, but we got 44 nonetheless. What was your favorite role so far? Well, shipwreck, as I've mentioned, I tend to like the roles the fans like for obvious reasons. Uh, I have a soft spot for Keith in uh, Voltron. That was the first lead role I ever got very, very early on in my career. It was the one that sort of told me, geez, maybe you do have a future in this business. <laughs> uh, Springer and Transformers fans love him. And everybody quotes that famous line that uh, from the movie that they, they like and remember. And it's so wonderful to have a tagline because not everybody gets one. And of course, it's the... Uh, I've got better things to do tonight than die. And I remember I went to the premiere of that thing in Westwood. And when that line came out, the whole theater erupted in cheers and applause. And I thought, wow, I was a, really a hell of an exciting feeling when that happened. You know, that you get that kind of a reaction from an audience. And then I, I, I'm kind of proud of uh, the duo of uh, Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin in uh, Spider-Man. Uh, what, what is that? I don't want to gloss over it. Cause I can only imagine what that feels like. It's like Michael Jordan hitting a game winning shot, right? What was that initial reaction for you? Like, or what was going through your head when you hear this huge pop of an audience, just getting a huge kick out of a line, you said yeah, something that came yeah. out of your mouth. What was going through your head? You're like, Holy fuck, what the hell is going on? Or what was going through your mind? Yeah. No, it was a, it was, a, it was a rush. It was euphoria. It was like, wow. You know, cause most of the time, we're locked in these little studios and, um, and radio, same thing. I mean, you never get the, you, you throw a line out and you don't know if anybody laughed or threw something at the radio. It's, uh, so to be sitting in that theater and actually hear the reaction to the, to the line uh, was a, just a wonderful moment. I'll never forget it. I can all imagine you were on cloud nine for a very long time. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ruin this guy's name, but I'm going to try it. Unacceptedness, I think. I'm not sure. From Reddit wants to know, any shows that you were in that made you think, how the hell did this get greenlit? Only to change <laughs> your mind later. Well, not really. I mean, when it comes to animation, you just you just kind of got to go with the flow because you just don't know. I never forget. I this was way before cell phones. We had pagers in those days, so my pager went off, and it was my agent. And I found a payphone in Hollywood. This, this is how long ago this was. And I called her up and she said, you have an audition tomorrow at such and such a place. <clears throat> I said, okay, what's, uh, what's the project? She said, it's for a new show called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I'm looking at the phone, you know, in my hand. And I finally, I said to her, all right, now that you've had your little joke, would you like to tell me what the actual title is? And she says, that is the actual title. Now go there and get a job. And unfortunately I didn't, but you know, you hear something like teenage mutant Ninja turtles and you think the, the whole world's gone insane. This can't be a show of any sort. And of course it was, of course it was a show and it was a huge hit. Yeah. So you just, you, you know, you just don't know. I'm sure you know, the 
people who were lucky enough to get into the Simpsons in the beginning said, well, these weird drawings. I, well, what the hell? We'll give it a shot. You know? All these people have jaundice. So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. no, there's never been anyone that I, uh, I, like I said, you just go with the flow. Do you remember who you, who you would have auditioned for, for the Ninja Turtles? I have no memory of doing the audition. That's completely wiped from the memory banks. All I remember is standing in this, at this payphone in Hollywood saying, come on, stop screwing with me. Tell me the name of the show. <laughs> um, so the same guy, uh, is there any, I mean, I guess it's the same question and it might be the same answer, but it was, he said, conversely, is there any that you thought were bizarre and still think it's bizarre? Well, I always part of the thing is you can't you, you don't you don't see the visuals when you do these things. Uh, when you the, one of the first things that happens is uh, in the animation side of things is the once the script has been written, that's the absolute first thing that happens. But the next thing that happens is the voice recordings go down and then they animate to the voices. So we never saw any visuals, but I do remember a show called Inhumanoids that was pretty weird and i was wondering what is this gonna look like what, what what are we talking about here i remember was it in humanoids or one or the uh, not there was another show wally did i remember we it was five or six of us and um we were supposed to be some sort of uh, uh man-eating flowers and so wally wally said well all right, give me the uh, the sound of uh, man-eating flowers, uh, you know, slobbering and, uh, you know, ready to go in for the kill. And we're experimenting. And what we finally came up with was this. <laughs> so you got to picture six middle-aged guys in a row in front of microphones <laughs> who really should have had real jobs by now going. <laughs> Is that okay, Wally? Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the hell's the visual for this? You know, and uh, I tried to look it up, but I, I the with the flash then on here, I you yeah. won't be able to see the actual picture. Well, it was either in human or there was another one that he did around that same time that I was in, and I can't remember the name of it. But <laughs> um, who did you say it was? You said it was Wally, right? Yeah, Wally Burr. Um, this one comes up uh, with Flint Dilly was the program creator. Uh, yeah, he was a. Uh, yeah, and he's wrote a lot of the episodes. Yeah, um, so yeah, it came out. It was uh, uh, it lasted for three months, Neil. Um, hmm. So <laughs> I guess we didn't suck hard enough. Oh, <laughs> tell you, here all week. And who said you weren't a fucking stand-up comedian, Neil? You could have went in there see? and crushed it with Rob. I should go back to the improv and <laughs> see if they'll let me on stage again. Start writing another monologue. You're going to get a volume two out yeah. of your book. Yeah. So. Um, is there any roles that's from the, this is the last question from that guy. Is there any roles you would like to revisit? Um, well, you know, if, if somebody wanted to, would I like to revisit? You know, um, no, they're sort of, they are what they are. I'm always sort of thinking in terms of the future. What's the next part that's going to come along? What's the next voice I'm going to stumble into? So I probably would just prefer to do new stuff from here on out. That's a great way to look at it, man. 
Um, so Jake from State Farm, it's not the real Jake from State Farm, he's just a friend, um, and we always call him from State Farm. Uh, he wants to know, in your opinion, does Optimus Prime have amnesia? He has to announce who he is in every live action movie. So does Optimus Prime have amnesia? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I'm not, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, you would have to ask Peter Cullen about that. He's the expert on Optimus Prime. I don't I've got know. A, I'll write it down on my list. I'll ask Peter Cullen. Um, Christian TDD from Reddit wants to know, how did you get along with the Transformers cast and crew when recording with them? I, I, I don't think he's asking for dirt or anything bad. He's like, but how, how did you guys gel well gel together? Was it pretty easy give and take type of thing? Or was it something you guys had really had to work at? No. Uh, one of the many things I reference in my book is how wonderful and warm and generous and in some cases hysterically funny the voiceover community is uh, a more congenial group you wouldn't want to meet. It's uh, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes on camera, people would stumble into our world and they would say, God, this is so different from on camera. And they describe a situation where everybody's trying to psych each other out and there, there's jealousies and feuds and what have you. And, and, he say, and, they, and they say, you people, you're just laughing and scratching and having a good time. And I, I would say that's just the way it is. I mean, a, a lot of voiceover sessions, it's like getting to go to a great party yeah, it's just nobody's serving alcohol, and occasionally they interrupt the jokes and make you work. But uh, no, I mean we all. We, I liken it to uh, um, the director John Ford put together sort of a little stock company, and he used a lot of the same actors in in the various movies that he did. And I think Wally was a little like that. If he liked your work and your work ethic, uh, you tended to get asked back a lot. And so a lot of the people who were in G.I. Uh, Joe were also in Transformers. And for a, a two or three year period, we, we worked together a lot. And, you know, once in a while, somebody would get a little miffed at somebody else for some reason. But 99% of the time now, we just had a ball, a lot of laughs. And, uh, and I have nothing but good, good memories of those folks. That's the way to keep it, man. It's always yeah. fun when you can actually, when, it, when work doesn't feel like work, man. I think Rob yeah. said it, it's, it's like playing... It's like playing in a sandbox. And then he's like, every once in a while, you'll have somebody coming in there yelling at you, saying, quit throwing sand at each other, mm. quit doing this, quit doing that. You get to the lines type of thing. So yeah. it's always fun to hear how much fun you guys have because it's for us, it's just as, I mean, probably not just as fun, but it's as, as fun as we could possibly relate it to that you guys are having. And mm -hmm. we can really tell when you guys give a shit. We can really tell when you guys are having fun because it translates into the product. Like I said, I mean, I've said it like a fucking hundred times on all these podcasts, but you guys really do put the heart and soul into these characters. And without you, the character would be just as flat as the animation that it's built on. Right. So well, let me quote uh, Wally. I mentioned him a bunch. Wally Burr was the voice director on uh, GI Joe and Transformers and a number of and Inhumanoids. We mentioned that show, a number of other shows, but he said once he said the, the, the picture in, in animation, it's like a beautiful car mm -hmm. that's been designed, it's gorgeous, the colors are perfect, the chrome, everything's polished and shiny, it's absolutely gorgeous. But if there's no engine in there, that car's not going anywhere. Yeah. And he said the soundtrack, meaning the voice actors and the sound effects and the music, that's the engine. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it go. 
And I've often suggested to people that a little experiment would be put on a any sh animated show you like and watch it for a few minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, and then uh, turn the sound down, turn the sound off. And suddenly the whole thing is gone. It's just little drawings running around. Put the sound back on and turn your back and don't look at the screen. Now, you may not know what's going on because there's no dialogue saying, oh, somebody just came in the door, that kind of thing like they used to do on radio. But it will somehow hold together. It will still work even if all you're doing is hearing the soundtrack. It's not true of the picture if you turn the sound down, at least in my opinion. No, I mean, 100%. You, you can always tell, like, uh, you watch a show and you just look at the character and you're just like, man, this character does not match with this profile or this person or with this actor. It, it, whatever character they're putting on here. So say, let's go to Ninja Turtle for a second. Say Donatello was on there and Donatello sounded like a meathead. You would instantly look at him and like, that's not Donatello. Donatello is a geeky, nerdy type of dude that's into computers. He's not some meathead doing curls with 45 pound dumbbells in each hand and blaring Metallica. That's just not Donatello. You've got Barry Gordon playing Donatello, that very nerdy meat type of dude. He's like, oh shit, he embodies this character, what this character is supposed to be out. He makes this character who he is. So I 100% agree with you, man. You can sit here and you can put, and it goes back to the big actor, big actor type of thing. You can put somebody in there, but if they don't know how to grip you the right way, you give two shits about this character. You might as well put that character and nobody else on mute, essentially is what I'm getting at. Um, so uh, one quick question before we get to the last couple is, uh, I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but is Wally still around? No, he passed away. Uh, I forget. It's been a few years now. He made it into his 90s and he was doing good almost right up to the end. Yeah. Uh, we got together at a convention in Long Beach. I forget exactly what the year was, but uh, he was keeping up with us. Uh, the only time he faltered was when the batteries in his hearing aid went out. And he, <laughs> see, as soon as he replaced the batteries, he was back in the game. But uh, no, he's no longer with us. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, they've been a fantastic person to have on here. I, lo I love hearing uh, a lot of the voice, the, the voice casting directors um, they're just not here anymore, man. And, and just to, to sit here and try to give thanks to people that, that took an eclectic group of just different personalities and different people and brought you guys together. And mm -hmm. from everything that you've said, like I said, voice actors are some of the best people I've ever had on this podcast. You guys are the most gracious people and some of the most humblest people and some of the most not humble people, but it works for you guys. Um, I had Jim Cummings on here a couple weeks ago, the funniest person that wasn't intentionally trying to be funny. I mean, he like he would just go into stories and then he would always slip it back. He's like, well, I was just a little bit better than he was. So that's why I got the job. So I, I like I like that side to people. I like that very, very snarky or very, very funny or very, very self-deprecating, but also, you know, like I said, just just telling jokes essentially. Um, but voice casting, voice casting directors uh, don't get the love that they really need. Cause like I said, they, they match you guys so well and like mm -hmm. i said the, the stories that you've told here i can only imagine the stories that he has or had sure. you know, in telling sure. you guys and all that stuff i mean i really wish i would have started this shit you know 10 15 years ago but man where will we be at that point right so getting back to a couple more questions uh shane one of my best friends in the world once from facebook wants to know 
do you have a favorite character you voice? And obviously it's going to be shipwreck um, or a favorite franchise you've worked on. So if you had to take shipwreck and GI Joe out of there, what would be the next mm -hmm. one in line as far as favorite character or franchise? Well, probably Springer in, uh, in transformers okay. uh, with, with maybe Keith and Voltron coming in a close second. Okay, cool. Probably uh, the, the, the reason I give uh, Voltron short shrift is, and this is sort of a little known fact, but I mentioned that the first thing that happens in, in the animation process once a script has been written is the actors come in and, and vo voice the script. Well, Voltron was done kind of in reverse because the visuals were from an already existing Japanese show, two actually previously existing Japanese shows. And so when we would do a line on the script, next to the line would be the timing, 6.5, 6.5 seconds, and you had to hit 6.5 seconds. So because of, of that difficulty, we didn't work as an ensemble. We Each actor came in and did their lines in the clear which is not really the way I like to work. I like to bounce off the, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of it is the chemistry of bouncing off the other actor, hearing how they do the feed line will influence how you do the responding line. And we didn't have that in Voltron. So it, it all came together and, and, and it was fine, but I, I, I didn't have quite as much fun working on Voltron because I was working alone. Yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll which, is, which is what happens now with these games. Again, you, you don't have anybody to play a scene with. You're just doing lines in the clear. And, and you don't, in a lot of cases, you don't even know why the character is saying the line. Um, yeah, I bet you can feel very monotonous and meticulous at times too. So, Well, it's more a case, as, as I say, I, I love that chemistry between actors. And, and, and when you're working alone, uh, you just, you don't have that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean yeah, especially after this last year where a lot of people are still locked down. A lot of people are just mm -hmm. alone now, you know, so I can only imagine what it would be like. You got to sit here and you got to be on a team on TV or be a team on a cartoon, but you're mm -hmm. just solo running it because that's just how it is at that point. Um, you did some, so Shane goes back to, he said, you did some iconic characters. It's not really a question. It's just a thank you. But he said, you did some iconic characters in Joe, but for me, your work on Voltron, tops it all so uh, another another voltron fan uh justin cooper from the epic tales from the sewer podcast says shipwreck i don't even think this is a question shipwreck is the best joe ever his story where it turned into popeye was awesome <laughs> and then we've got uh two more questions here well don't Dang thank it. me thank the writers i didn't <laughs> The writers don't get enough credit. You know, we don't make this stuff up. Somebody like Flint Dilly has to write it. And uh, they don't, you know. You know, a lot of actors, uh, they showed up and that's not what happened. Somebody has to bang it out. And we had wonderful writers on, uh, <clears throat> on G.I. Joe and Transformers. Flint Dilly, I mentioned, and Buzz Dixon and Ron F Friedman uh, and, and others. They were just outstanding, wonderful scripts. Yes, yes Wonderful they are. stories. I've had, uh, I love talking to every, I love seeing how the sausage is made essentially. I love talking to the writers, the storyboard mm -hmm. artists, the animators, the casting directors. I love seeing the entire encapsulated mm -hmm. episode 
And I love talking to it because you'll have a perspective and then a writer will have a perspective and then an artist will have a perspective. And then somebody else that doesn't have anything to do with those three topics, they're just in management, they will have a different perspective. So to see how everybody's perspective yeah. comes together and everybody's job comes together and you guys put out such an amazing piece of work. I mean, it just goes to show you like how tirelessly you guys work, but just how much you guys are pushing for the same outcome. Everybody wants to put the best that they can out there. Most of the time, some people just like, mm -hmm. fuck it, good enough for me, good enough for them type of thing. But for the most part, everything that I've seen and been a fan of and I absolutely love and I'll sit here and plug and plug and plug like the Turtles, like Voltron, like Transformers, like insert whatever. Um, you guys really show, like I said, the heart and soul to it. And, you know, you're right. The writers do not get enough of the credit. The artists don't get enough of the no. credit. You know, there should it should be. No, it's a team. It's a total. It's a total team effort. Yeah. And uh, people. People sometimes ask, "Why do I, why do why do that? Why do I think that Transformers and uh, GI Joe were so much more successful in the long run than uh, many other shows?" And the only answer that I have is somehow, uh, through luck or planning, they put together a team of animators, writers actors, producers, directors, casting people, and if I've left anybody out, I apologize, to where the whole became greater than the sum of its parts. And they wound up with uh, this uh, wonderful, lucky accident of a couple of shows that transcended their original intent and have lived on for another 30 plus years in the hearts of the fans. And uh, it was a uh, it was really an amazing experience. I can only imagine, man, to, to be a fly on the wall, to see what you guys did and talked about and accomplished. I mean, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous. And I guess you're seeing for the first time fans come out to the level they are and talking to you guys and reaching out like myself. I mean, I just mm -hmm. reached out and I'm so gracious that you came onto the show um, because the generation before you that was doing this or the generation that you were coming up with when you were starting and they were kind of ending their career, you know, mm. like the Don Messicks and the Casey Kasems, um, the Mel Blanks, you know, insert voice actor, voice actors here. I mean, they didn't, I don't want to say they didn't get the same adulations that I'm trying to give everybody that I have on the show, man. Cause if I ask you to come on the show, it's because I fucking love what you guys did, man. You guys, you know, at, at some point in time, touched me at, at, at a young age. And I'm, that sounds a lot dirtier than I meant it to be, but you, you guys imprinted on me at such a young age. And I had so much fun. You know, it's not like I had a horrible childhood. I had a pretty decent childhood, I had a very, very good childhood. My mom did great, you know, for what she was dealt. She did great. Um, you know, so this podcast was just meant for me to get the people on that I absolutely look up to or that I had, you know, a bad day and I turned on an episode of whatever it is. Um, and you guys made me smile when I didn't want to smile or when I didn't, when I didn't think I could smile, man. So that's essentially what this is. And like I said, you're seeing the first generation of fans like myself being able to give you guys thanks because those guys that I mentioned before, they might've had, you know, the, the occasional thank you, but to the level of your face being out there compared to their faces being out there during their time is completely zero. And in my opinion, I mean, you go and look, there's not very many people know who who or what Mel Blanc looks like. They know bugs. They know insert whatever character he did. He did thousands of them, a man of a thousand voices, right? So he did all of these characters. And I guarantee you, 
one out of 100 people, maybe two out of 100 people would actually be able to tell you if I showed a picture of Mel Blanc and I showed a picture of whoever else, they probably wouldn't guess or they probably wouldn't know. It's 50-50 chance they would get it, but they wouldn't know 100% of, you know, oh, that's Mel Blanc, the fucking most, uh, I can't even think the word, the most predominant. No, that's not the right word either. The most prolific, that's the right word, Mm -hmm. the most prolific voice actor probably ever at this point in time. Right. It's not diminishing anybody else or anything anybody else has done in their career. That dude is just fucking on another level, essentially. I mean, he's known for so much. Um, but going back to my original point, man, it, it's it's me saying thank you, essentially, for, for doing what you do, man, because you guys do and have done such a great service, just making people's lives so much better. And, you know, at the end of the day, Neil. Thank you, 100% of the time. Oh, well, thank you. That's, that's a lovely, lovely sentiment, and um, I'm touched. Uh, you know, I think what happened was, for, for a long time, the only animation that was on television was Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. And then the regulations changed in the early 80s, and it became economically feasible to run shows in the afternoons, the weekday afternoons. And I think uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers and other shows, we kind of connected with a lot of latchkey or semi-latchkey kids. And and we became very special to them. I touch on it in the book. We, We do conventions and fans come up and they'll reference uh, just awful uh, home situations when they were growing up and, uh, Really, the only morality uh, instruction on morality that any of them got were those public service announcements on G.I. Joe. And they they talk about, you know, they were inspired by Duke or, you know, or Flint or in some cases, God help them, shipwreck. And, and, and they, they decided to get into the military or they decided to get into law enforcement. And essentially, they've led good productive lives and they feel like these shows were a huge influence on that and and these stories are very very moving i mean i'm close to tears sometimes and and we never imagined that that was going on you know we were just showing up and uh, essentially being paid for having a lot of fun which has nothing wrong with that you know thanks to the fans i've spent my entire adult life uh, doing what i enjoy and how many people get to do that? You know, most people say, oh, I got to go to work. I, go, I don't want to go to work. You know, me, I can't wait to get there, you know. And uh, it's been like that most of my life. That just goes to show you, man, what you guys are doing. I'm not a religious guy, but what you guys are doing, man, is really the Lord's work, man. What you guys do helps people. Um, you know, most of the time people just think cartoons. Oh, it's just the funny papers. Oh, it's cartoons. It's child shit. No, there's some real shit that you can learn. In G.I. Joe, man, and knowing's half the battle. There's a lot yeah. of shit you can learn in the Transformers. There's a lot of shit you can learn in just fucking Ninja Turtles, man. It teaches and it, and it preaches family and brotherhood and doing what's right, even when nobody's looking, man. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it is it is always enjoyable when I get to meet somebody that I looked up to that I never knew, you know, much of anything other than what voices you guys did or what projects you guys worked on, man. So it's always fun to meet some heroes in real life. And those heroes turn out to be some great a class act people, man. And that's what you are, Neil, a glass act class. Act. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm going to go say glass act. It made me sound like you or were a glass a act. Yes. alcoholic there. So that's not what I'm trying to do, Neil. Um, but the last question, 
Uh, Tank Deathwall, interesting name. Mm-hmm. Uh, hope he's doing okay. From Reddit wants to know, uh, was it weird voicing one-third of the Constructicons? And did you ever have to voice two characters on the opposite team on the same battlefield? Hmm. I don't honestly remember okay. the answer to question two. I answer question one, no, it wasn't weird at all. It was... <laughs> just fine but i don't know if he i don't know if he means how do how do you handle it if you have two characters that are talking to each other it's probably what he meant yeah well usually the director will will say well you're this entire scene is you talking to yourself do you feel comfortable jumping in and out of the different voices or would you like to do one pass as one character and then another pass as the other character and have an engineer glue them together and it just sort of depends on how you're feeling on any given day. You know, do I feel lucky? And uh, <laughs> the there's this, you can actually find it on YouTube. There's a scene from uh, Spider-Man where the green guy, well, actually Norman Osborn is looking into the mirror in his bathroom, I guess. Mm. And he starts going in and out of the green goblin. And it's one minute he's Norman, the next minute he's the green goblin. And, uh, people have asked me, did you do those separately or did you do that all in one take? And I wish I could remember. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but uh, it turned out pretty good regardless of how I did it. I got to admit that. Pretty, pretty good is uh, a very setting the bar very, very low. It was a very excellent scene, Neil. Um, and well, I'm my own worst critic. I hate, you know, I, I <laughs> everything I do, I, I say, Oh God, I could have done that better. But that's the sign of a true professional, man. Cause yeah. If there's one thing we, we, we always do, at least for me, whenever I cook something, because that's what I do professionally, I cook for a living. And I always think to myself, what could I have done better? I always ask whenever somebody eats my food, especially when I'm at home, wife and kid, hey, how'd you like it? What would you rate it? Okay, you rated it an eight. What would you do differently? What would have made this a 10 dish? Or I knew I should have added a little bit more salt. I knew I should add a little bit more acid. I knew I should add a little bit more fat or insert whatever I could have added mm-hmm. to make this dish better. I think that's a, that's a mark of a true craftsman because you guys will never be, no matter how many roles you guys crush, no matter how many roles you guys lock down and do, you guys will never, ever, in my opinion, be satisfied because you're always looking for what's next and what can I do better? You guys are never in a point where you're like, I'm going to settle. I'm good here. I don't need to grow because when you, when you, when you stop growing, when you stop learning, when you stop reading, you essentially, you die. Right? Yeah, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. You have yeah. to keep pushing. And I, uh, I lied to you on the last one. This is the last question, Neil, I promise. Okay. Uh, Matt Nagatum, Nagatum. I don't, I, some of these names are so fucking weird. Nagatum from Reddit. I think that's how you pronounce it. If I pronounced it wrong, I apologize. Um, how cool do you think Cobra Commander is? Well, I thought he was pretty slick. uh i don't that of course was chris lotta the late lamented chris lotta who was a just a phenomenally talented guy and i i don't know how many people realize in addition to you know an uh, acting he was also a a very accomplished stand-up comedian did you know that no i did not yeah he had a kind of a strange act, but it was interesting and, and funny, of course. And um, Chris was one of those guys that, that I've met in my life where you look at this guy and you say, with the right breaks, this guy could become very, very big. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years I'm telling people, I used to know him, you know. Oh, you're kidding. No, I really, I did, I, you know. And I, I don't know what would have happened had he lived, but he died, unfortunately, far too young. I think he was yeah. only 45 years old, and that's a shame. But he was a, an extraordinarily gifted actor, and he, I, I can tell you from personal observation, he gave it 100%, 100% of the time. Uh, I mean, he put so much energy into the, into, the, into the work. He would just be sweating and turning purple. I mean, he, he put, it all, put it all out there. He was, a, he was a, a force of nature in a way. He's a mark of it. Like I said, a mark of a true craftsman right there. Yeah. Um, Neil, I got to say, man, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. And of course, we went a little bit over. It's been about an hour and a half. So I apologize for keeping you a little bit too long. Um, you, I couldn't do... I couldn't do this without you saying, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, as soon as we get off this, I'm going and buying your book. I can't wait to start reading this. Um, one more time, just so all of the listeners can either see or hear you talk about it, man. What's the name of your book? One more time. One more time with a visual aid. And we have Vocal Recall, A Life in Radio and Voiceovers by Neil Ross. Uh, best place to track it down is uh, com. I think if you put Vocal Recall Neil Ross into Google, it'll take you to Amazon or somewhere. And, and again, it is available on Audible. If you're one of those Audible subscribers, you can find it there. And it's in, there's a Kindle version if you need that. And Go to his website and pick this book up, man. I Like I said, I cannot wait to read this book. I can only imagine it's going to be just as fun, if not more fun, which I don't think is possible than having this hour and a half chat with you, man. Like I said, I really had fun. Thank you for everything you've done. Like I said, all of these voices that I mentioned meant something to a young Julian, but they also mean a little bit more to me as an older Julian. I get to see the lessons that you guys taught in Joe. I get to see the lessons you guys taught in Transformers, even though it's just robots beating the shit out of other robots. And there's something you can take from every aspect and everything that you've put your name on has been nothing less than excellence, man. I really appreciate you taking the time for me. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the fans or just out in general before we wrap this thing up? Well, I kind of say it in the last chapter of my book, but I'll say it here. I'm, you know, people sometimes come up to me and at conventions and say, uh, thank you for making my childhood. And I will say, well, thank you for making my middle age. Um, <laughs> you know, as I alluded uh, to earlier, I've spent pretty much my entire adult life uh, having fun at work, mm -hmm. uh, which is a tough thing to accomplish. But if you can do it, it's marvelous. And of course, none of this would have been possible without the fans. And so my thanks to all of you for being out there and watching and listening and supporting and hopefully enjoying. And uh, I appreciate it. No end. It's, uh, it's, it's been a wonderful gift. Thank you. Well, just as much fun as you've had at work, man, we have had fun listening to you grow. And like I said, trying out all these different eclectic characters that you've done over your illustrious career. Uh, I've probably set a record for using the word illustrious, but I really do mean that, man. You've had a legendary career. I can't wait to see what you're going to be doing next, man, because I know it's going to be nothing less than the best. Um, man, this has been the What's In My Head podcast. He's been Neil Ross. I've been Julian. And we're out of time. Thanks for listening, man. And I'll catch you guys when I catch you. 
Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.